welcome to this episode, the instructional design one of the Women Talking About Learning podcast. First up, we want to say how much we appreciate everyone who rates, reviews and donates towards the podcast. Your contributions are appreciated more than you would know and simply wonderful. Instructional design was a really popular topic and has been requested by people from around the world. So we decided to get a truly global pair of speakers. Our guests this week are Nandita Kulkarni and Tabitha Dragonbury. Nandita started her career designing learning and facilitating in the academic context. Having moved to the corporate sphere more than 14 years ago, she's worked across different geographies and led teams delivering learning, especially in the technology-led space. Currently in Dubai, she brings a strong consultative mindset with a holistic design perspective to every project. Tabitha Dragonbury is a learning and development professional with a varied background both in academia and corporate. She's passionate about helping others who are getting into instructional design as a coach and as a mentor. She's also a registered respiratory therapist and continues to serve the healthcare community as a host of the Vent Room podcast. Nandita was recording in the evening while it was morning for Tabitha. This is the nine hour time difference episode and it's definitely worth a listen. This is Women Talking About Learning. This is Nandita and Tabitha talking about instructional design. Hey, Nandita, thank you for joining me today for this instructional design podcast, which I don't know about you, but I feel like sometimes it's intimidating when you just have like this open topic that's so broad. I hear you. (laughs) Thanks for having me here, Tabitha. Uh, It's good to have an opportunity to discuss this, right? Um, Because there's, there's a lot of stuff around instructional design that gets thrown around now Um, and uh, yeah so where do you want to start so I'm going to ask you what does instructional design like that whole terminology mean to you (laughs) you're you're going for the tough questions right away aren't you Um, well I I think that that's really where we're at you know like it encompasses so much but what is it for you Yeah. So listen, um, you know, there's so many different job titles today that seem to sort of cover this skill area. So you have performance specialist, you have um, instructional design, you have learning technologist, you have uh, digital designers, you have UX, UI. I mean, there's so many different things that actually go into that skill bucket, isn't it? For me, when you ask me personally about instructional design, It is about creating experiences that help people learn some key skills or behaviors along the way, right? And that today covers so many things. Right. (laughs) What about you? I totally agree that it's an experience, right? And and there's even the title learning experience designer, right? So I know that I help with uh, a lot of people transitioning into instructional design. And Mm. that's always the thing is like, these job titles, there's so many, um, and it, it throws you off, but I feel like they all do the same thing. (laughs) It does. And, and they don't really reflect the entire, uh, spectrum of skills that goes into it, you know, um, like 
I, I've seen, for example, your portfolio, right? Um, part of being an instructional designer is also knowing how to market that piece of learning that you develop. Uh, and so it involves that little skill around marketing as well. Um, so yeah, instructional design, gosh, it's, it's everything. It's that experience from start to finish, how it gets to the learner. Um, yeah, to me, it's, it's really that whole thing. I feel like we're, we're unicorns in a field of <laughs> needing to do all kinds of things. Yeah, I know. I know for me, um, I've faced different challenges and IDs. Sometimes it's difficult SMEs or just people not buying in, maybe not selling the right idea um, or getting them to understand the return on investment. Right. Because that's what we are. We have to show that, hey, this particular item, if we did that, and we spent the money to do this, that we are going to recoup the money as well as more. What in your role is uh, some challenges that you face? So, you know, instructional design, I like to tell people it's the um, it's the art of making science look artful. So it's it is so backed by science and logic, but it's really, you know, good instructional design when you don't feel it at all correct? An experience feels intuitive and smooth and free flowing. And you really don't realize how it's been scaffolded and built for you to have that intuitive, uh, massively natural experience. So one of my big challenges in instructional design is really, you know, convincing people that instructional design is something that they need, because people think, you know, logically structuring something is instructional design. <laughs> so subject matter experts who believe that you know I know how this subject matter needs to be chunked and needs to flow uh, versus why exactly are we doing it in this flow and what is the outcomes you're looking at and what's the kind of experience you're going to give the learner right so it's making that 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 part visible that that science and that art visible when in the actual product um, it's it it's sort of invisible to the learner um, so yeah, to me, that's one of the large challenges in instructional design, letting people know why it's critical um, when they don't really feel it or see it in many ways. Right. And the way they're going to see it isn't going to be in the outcomes later, yeah. right? They're not going to see it when the person's taking it. You're <laughs> going to be, you deliver this course. And then over time, you're looking for that behavioral change that you identified who knows how long ago, because yeah. um, you need to establish what you're looking for, but then taking the time to measure that after yeah. the fact and being able to say, Hey, we met, we met our metric. We got to where we wanted to be. Yeah. I know that, um, you know, as instructional designers, sometimes we, they don't see the value. They don't understand. Yeah. What are something that you've done in your role that you've been able to overcome some of those challenges? <laughs> So, you know, it's a very funny uh, thing because in, in my current uh, job role, for example, I work in a in a hugely engineering driven field. I work in, in transport and logistics right now, uh, and there's a lot around engineering. So I've begun to practice uh, some of the lean methodology I hear my subject matters experts talk about, right? So it's the five whys. I'll always keep asking why, you know, they say, we need to build this. Okay, why do you need to build it exactly? And then they go for this and you go, okay, why? 
why exactly. And it's an approach that seems to really work for, for the area and the industry I work in. And often for pure engineering, uh, health kind of industries, you know this, Tabitha, uh, this sort of re really you know, probative approach sort of seems to work really well, especially when you have subject matter experts, they're very logic driven uh, and very quantitatively driven like that. So one of my key skills around there is really, you know, ask why at least five times. Um, sometimes even they don't know exactly why they're doing something and it helps them to get their thought process clear. No, I, and I totally agree. I come from a, a highly healthcare background, highly regulated. I actually have my green belt in Six Sigma yeah, overall yeah. <laughs> and, and going through and, and, and drilling down to the why, because again, not training doesn't solve everything. Somebody could come to your instructional design department and say, hey, I need a training for this. And it's not like an order on the menu. We need no. to be like, hey, why do you need this? And yeah. drilling that five whys approach is amazing because <laughs> it it, it kind of drills down to yeah. is this something that training is an option? Yeah. Or is it something that it's in the process and procedures that they're missing yeah. something? Yeah. So I think that's totally uh, a thought to a tool to use. And you can do that in, in life. And sometimes you feel like a toddler. Why, why, why? Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> you drill down to the most important thing. Yeah. And sometimes it's just a marketing thing. They don't even want learning. They just want to popularize a, an idea or a concept. And you're like, you know, you should be going to cop comms for this. Uh, it's not necessarily a learning outcome you're looking at. So yeah, it helps. So I know that we were talking before and we were chit chatting about what's the difference between like an internal client so and client within an organization that you work for versus a freelancer and we're dealing with an external client um when you're i know for me when i'm thinking of those internal clients that i'm working with within an organization we're thinking about our strategic planning it's not just what do we need now in training but also what do we need within the next five years and as that company is growing or that company is making a pivot because right now you know if you look on in linkedin glassdoor there's instructional design jobs like booming everywhere and it's interesting to see this pivot but are people pivoting because they realize the need or are they pivoting because, oh, now this is the popular job to have in training and development? <laughs> Listen, I think it's a bit of both. I think um, I think over time, uh, when you do design well and when you do instructional design well, people see the value. And of course, as people are exposed to more and more experiences, and over the last year, you know this and I know this, people have been exposed to massive amounts of learning, uh, especially through technology and especially online, which means that everybody knows what works for them, right? So when they come across good experiences, they, they, people are really beginning to understand that value around instructional design, but I think it's also a little bit of what's the cool thing to do right now. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I hear you when you say that. Uh, but again, you know, going back to what you were saying about internal versus external, um, for an external freelancer and somebody who, who comes in for a project or an initiative, it's often a little bit more transactional, right? We sort of build up the markers, you mark out the route, and the marathon needs to be run by the clients themselves. Whereas when you're inside the company, uh, you're part of that race. That marathon is your marathon. You're part of the team that's running this marathon. So it's a very different perspective for instructional design. Uh, and I always find that, you know, as when I'm inside something and I'm supporting internally, um, the drive is also to, to get into innovative spaces and to do fun work and to move the company culture along with that learning as well. So a little bit more of that investment because you have, uh, you know, quite a bit of your skin in the game. Whereas as an external consultant, you can afford to be a little bit more transactional. You can sort of set up all of the milestones and the roadblocks and, you know, all of that, but then you can walk away from it. So that's a little bit of an easier job sometimes, I think. No, and I, I agree because they are your client. You can guide them to the right thing. Yeah. Um, and they could say the right thing's out of my budget and I'm going to deal with what I can do and I'm going to do the best <laughs> within my budget, which I can totally understand. But you've guided them and, and given them some information to say, hey, you could do this and this is a little bit better. I mean, yeah. nowadays, every person out there on TikTok and YouTube are making a course, yeah. right? And, yeah. and it's it's interesting to see like this explosion and they're just dumping their their knowledge, which is yeah. yes, great. Thank you for, for putting it out there. But somebody self doing it and being that SME and saying, oh, I think this is how it could be chunked versus an instructional designer saying, okay, hey, let's, how do we really look at that? Because people join any course because they're looking for an outcome. It's not something that, oh, I'm going to take this online course and I don't want to walk out with a new skill at the end. And I think just depending on how it's presented, you know, there might be some independent course creators that do a really good job, but I think that there's probably that opposite. <laughs> um, and really, you know, I know that I go to YouTube, like I, I had, a, I had a, a car, I inherited it from my dad. And I just remembered, I'm like, oh, okay, the battery in the trunk is in the trunk. Yeah. And I automatically just go to YouTube and it's like, okay, something was happening. I had to take the battery out. So why do you think people are buying into YouTube learning? And now like TikTok is even having its own like EduTalk, which it, yeah. it, it's working. And I, I'm on it. I'm, I've actually started to go on TikTok and I have two different channels. One is my healthcare side and mm. one is my ID side where I am making little clips where we're talking about topics of instructional design, just like introduction, you know? Yeah pieces. So what do you think is the buy-in for this type of learning? So, you know, I think it's, it's, um, it's a lot of different things. One part of it is really context, right? A, there's so much content out there that content fatigue is a real thing. Okay. And faced with uh, the option between a one hour course and a, uh, you know, one and a half minute TikTok video. Um, I'm an instructional designer. I've worked in this field for 15 years and I will choose the one and a half minute because I don't have an hour. So it's also, so that's one part of it, right? It's that context around it. The second thing is, 
as we've grown up in the digital space, one of the things is just in time learning, isn't it? It's about getting what I need when I want it. So how many of us have gone to YouTube to say how to pivot a table? And you know, it points you out. Now, even YouTube's gotten so smart, it points you out exactly to that part of the video that shows you how to do that. And you go in and you get out. So you know, it's, it's, I think that's part of it, the context around how we now just go and learn the bits and pieces that we need to learn. Previously, this wasn't as accessible. And I think that is a really big difference. So I'm, I'm a bit of a, um, a hobby um, quilter, sewer kind of thing. And I find TikTok is amazing. So you have all of these little patterns that they will show you in a minute and a half. And it's great because I don't want to sit there for an hour learning how to run something, uh, you know, run up a pattern. And one and a half minute is just enough for me to get started off and go off. So, like I said, you know, two things, context and just in time learning that that's relevant and that's there when you need it. And I think that's why YouTube and TikTok are wonderful. Uh, but again, for the larger skill pieces, when you want to grow your skill, particularly your deepen your expertise, that's when again, YouTube and TikTok are not enough, right? And that's when you go back to the, you know, the more bigger, larger pieces of learning. Right. And you can also include those types of style items in those larger pieces. I come from a film and video background. So when I I, I naturally go to video, yeah. but that video can be engaging in that primer for that more technical piece that we draw them into. Yeah. So I know like for me, when I, I, I recently did a learning experience and I was blown away, like, and for an instructional designer to walk away and be like mouth watering. <laughs> learning experience it was amazing and and the thing is it was the production quality i would say it was the equivalent to a big budget movie mm -hmm. and they've invested a lot of time and money and i've seen a couple other instructional design companies that do that approach mm -hmm. and you know i'm on netflix every day i'm yeah. on those <laughs> different things. So I think it, it's something to consider that, you know, yes, they have invested a lot of money in this particular course, but they're a course seller. So now they can pitch this high quality, high engaging course yeah. to organizations um, like the one that I had had to take this course for. Mm -hmm. So I know that we know when an experience goes extremely great yeah. because you feel it and you're yeah. able to see the outcomes later. And we know when an experience goes really, really horribly, but what are some of the things that like has affected in your design process that, you know, you're like, oh, this, is, this isn't going to make the mark or it didn't make the mark. Cause I know like budget's a huge one, right? Cause I said this, this was a mouthwatering learning experience, but I'm looking at it from a film and video and instructional design view. And I'm thinking this was a lot of money oh. and investment and time yeah and you know this is also where things like youtube and tiktok really hobble you sometimes because you have clients walk in the door and they go but that person's doing it on tiktok and you go yes but have you looked at the production value right and have you looked at the outcomes it's driving 
you know, it's it. So this has become a larger piece, which I'm constantly working on negotiating and influencing, right? Which is what kind of budget gives you what kind of output, uh, how how uh, long you need to produce something uh, versus what your time expectations are. So uh, it's it's it, listen, it's massive in terms of that managing you know, what, what a client's expectations are when you say, this is what something we can do with, with what you want. And then you quote them a figure and they go, oh, that's like three times the budget we have. And you go, yes, but that's the output you want. So listen, it, a budget time, managing time with people when they turn up with you and say, you know, we need a course, we need a course in 15 days. And you go, yes, but you also want it to look like something um, Steven Spielberg produced. And, and I don't know how to do that in 15 days. Well, you know what the funny part is today I was watching on Netflix Pet Stars, right? Because I love my pets. <laughs> but it, they were talking about this producer right? and I can't Michael's animals uh, he has a YouTube channel he has a great cat you, mm -hmm. you probably if you, if you watched it you know who I'm talking about and he does YouTube videos with mm -hmm. green screen with multiple <laughs> yeah. videos I mean it's CGI yeah and some of these TikTok videos yeah. they are just as they are not I've recorded myself on my phone. There's some cool little things you can do yeah. with transitions yep. and, and pausing the video that don't cost money. No. But like some of the stuff, like TikTok channels, they're not, they're investing time and money. And that's where if you're wanting something that's, uh, you're wanting something that's like amazing, you're going to have to pay for it. And 15 day turnaround. Yeah. You're not going to get no. Steven Spielberg in 15 <laughs> days. No, and you're going to have to pay for it in one way or the other, right? It's going to be either budget or time or some variation combination of that because um, exactly, I've had a client come up to me and say, yeah, but in YouTube, they put a screen at the back and, and you know, you can show the Eiffel Tower at the back and I said, yes, yes, that, that's called a green screen. We don't have that capability. Oh, but you know why? <laughs> So yeah, it is. It's 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 the resources at the end of the day. Whether it's money, whether it's time, uh, things can get. Sometimes it's people and effort, right? Um, having multiple, like having a videographer on the team, makes a huge difference if you have a small team uh, doing all of your instructional design. So yeah, it's it's tough. <laughs> yeah. So I think as instructional designers, one of the largest challenges is managing expectations especially when we have these easy consumable short yeah. things that are actually very big budget yeah. um i actually uh, i just ordered something i'm a i'm a little bit of a tick uh, a, a kickstarter addict <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if you're familiar with kickstarter but yes. man they've taken my yes. money and uh. today my little thing got funded and it is an inflatable green screen studio oh. for my garage <laughs> because I am addicted to video and being able to do certain things. And I'm just like, Ooh, let me get it now when it's cheap. Yes. <laughs> Cause it's going to be more expensive You need to send me the link. They funded it today. So maybe if it goes on Indiegogo, I'll let you know, okay. but, but yeah, negotiating and influencing. And I think you have to gain that credibility and that power with your, your organization or things like that. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely 
it's not easy, right? But I think that sometimes you need to get those quick wins. You're like, hey, this is what I can do at this cost. This yeah. is what I can do with this time. And the powers that be, the, the stakeholders in the organization that need to make these decisions need to realize that, hey, in those project management meetings, and they're starting to, in A, they should have their instructional designer in those meetings because they can get you to the reality of it, right? So if you're yeah. making those project charters, who needs to be all involved? What are yeah. all the pieces? Because <laughs> it sounds simple, right? Hey, I want a learning that looks like this, but yeah. then they don't realize all the cogs that are needed to get to that particular piece. Yeah. And there is a, an extremely high number of times where I've had a subject matter expert and a, and a top level stakeholder uh, walk in and say, this is what we want. And I go, yes, but do you, have you informed? And especially when you're an internal consultant, right? And you go, yes, but you know, your subject matter, you know, also goes to health and safety. And this also covers risk management. And have you gotten in touch with those departments? And are they okay with the learning material you're producing? You know, so uh, it's it's so much of that um, highlighting all of the gaps, not only in the way that the subject matter flows, but also in the way that you build that learning product and experience, right? So, and I find that uh, credibility, the more credibility you have uh, with your stakeholders, um, and I'm sure you see this, Tabitha, you know, for people whom we move the needle actually, and when they come back, then suddenly you find you have that much more power at that negotiation. And when they, when you say, I need 10 days, they don't push back and say, we have only five. It, it's sort of like this incremental scaffolding build of credibility uh, that you sort of need to build with people and move it in small increments um, to get that power, to be able to influence uh, that involvement and of different stakeholders and the change around the product. And I think that influence is also coming from how you build evaluation into the design, right? Because when we are looking at outcomes and to move that needle, we need to have data. So building that evaluation and realizing that, you know, hey, this is the need, you know, this is what we're needing to increase or decrease by whatever percentage to get their results that they want, right? Because that's yeah. everybody, there is a business need, you know, they're yeah. really, you, nowadays of training for training yeah. is out the window. It's like, hey, this is our business need. This is our situation. We need to translate this data and make it actionable. Yeah. What do you do in your process to kind of do that in your designing? So again, and I'm I'm sitting here thinking of, you know, how do I start and how do I end? And remember, we spoke about the five whys right in the beginning. And if I get to that fifth why, I will normally get to a point where I know, okay, so this is that particular KPI. This is that particular output or outcome that they want to really see impacted, um, you know, whether it is the number of people turning in safety inspection reports on time, or whether it is, uh, you know, uh, compliance and therefore zero audit uh, 
you know, what do you call them? Findings. Uh, so if it, so the, the deeper you question and the closer you get to recognizing what that metric is right up front, uh, it's, it's going to be really, really helpful. And if you do it right, uh, it's something that uh, even the subject matter expert can sort of go back to their everyday job and when, and they will see the needle moving. They don't even need to come back to you to say it's working, it's not working because it, it's out there and they see it and they know that that's happening at least in part because of the learning and because of all the other support you've built around that learning. And I know that you said that you've worked in a kind of regulated industry. I worked in healthcare. A lot of the stuff that we're doing is regulated. But do you think in regulated industries, we can still design things that are fun? (laughs) Do you not remember the gamification boom about a year and a half ago? Oh, I'm I'm taking my gamification grandmaster or game master course next month. So I I, I totally get that. But for those people who aren't in our um, industry per se, because we have the listeners can be a little bit of everything. But I think that just because you work in finance or you work in software, there is a way to navigate and create story, right? Um, story into it. I, one of my mentors is Anna Sambramowitz. She is a, an interactive storyteller. And I feel yeah. like that's the other thing that people need to integrate more, you know, cause I feel like I've been, to, I've, I've seen some courses or samples in portfolios at the beginning. It's always in this course, we are going to learn X, Y, and Z. And you're, you're putting your, your, learning objective out there, but does the, does the learner actually need to know the learning objective or do they just need to know like the focus objective, right? (laughs) Like for them, what are they needing to focus on where it can be that story that says, Hey, you're a salesperson. And are you interested in increasing your productivity? And, and what do you call it? My brain is a little fried today, but you want to seal the deal more often. Yeah. Let's look at the, the, the st- tools or the skills. That can help you, you do that. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that people need to realize that yes, learning objectives are there. We are, that's for us. That yeah. isn't necessarily what the learner needs to see. Yeah. And that we can give them that focused objective that kind of generalizes yeah. everything. I mean, I feel like we could talk about this for hours. Instructional <laughs> design is such a broad bucket and it is definitely something that I'm sure the, the women in learning podcast is going to just allow other people to talk on it because that this is our interpretation of just being yeah. said, Hey, let's talk about instructional design. Yeah. And there's so many ways to look at it. Yeah. But you know, when you were talking about story and interactive story, um, it reminded me of um, something really simple. And that I, I like to tell my stakeholders, which is how many people do you know who follow keeping up with the Kardashians? You know, as humans, we have a natural bent to wanting to know, uh, really salacious details <laughs> and detailed story arcs uh, about uh, a- about 
things. We like it when there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. Uh, it's why the Kardashians have 12 effing seasons of this, right? <laughs> so, I mean, it, 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 the saga goes on. And that, that entertains you. It hooks you. It also helps you to go along with the grain of the learning. So, um, so I think in that sense, I totally, completely agree with your piece around the story and having to have that, you know, pull people in and take them along a plot line so that they actually feel that learning happen. But, you know, I wanted to also um, talk about in this one, because it's women talk about learning. Uh, and I wanted to ask you this time, um, do you think it, uh, it affects your approach to instructional design? Also, because, you know, I've realized there's a lot of us in this field. Do you think being women impacts that uh, in any major way, uh, our approach to instructional design or how we do this job? I think for me, as someone who I like, I know that multitasking doesn't exist, but we do it anyway. <laughs> I think that, yes, as a woman looking at things, I feel like we read into things more, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, like mm -hmm. if you're, if you're interact, it's like, if a man is silent, we wanted to know why, yeah. you know, why what's going on. Yeah, and I yeah. feel like we, we poke and prod and always are looking for a reason yeah <laughs> versus you know that like my husband if he's just silent he's just silent there isn't yeah. necessarily a reason why yeah but like i always interpret it there's a reason what's going yeah. on yeah. You, you know so i think that we're always looking for something like there has to be an answer versus <laughs> our male counterparts i don't know uh but you know, if you look at some TED talks, there's one, and I'll find it, and I'll I'll send the aunt, the Andrew the link, and it it just talks about like you know sometimes men it's it just is yeah yeah no I I completely agree with you there but uh, the other thing that you know while you were speaking I was also thinking of is that um, and I speak listen I speak for myself uh, the feminine is alive in many ways in many different people right uh, but there is a thing about nuance and there is a thing about grays uh, that you know instructional design often seems to wander into uh, where you're like it's it's not exactly entirely this way but it isn't exactly entirely the other as well um, and and I find that I'm a little bit better at being able to handle that uh, whereas I've I've seen uh, male counterparts who who tend to be very very structured and very very rigid and you know this is the theory behind this and we should follow this for this reason um, and and just you know sort of being quite rule bound for lack of another word uh, in that and I find sometimes that I bring that to the table because you know um, I've had a I love it. One of my favorite speakers is Esther Perel. And she always says, if you've had a two-year-old throw a tantrum, then you know that power is not about who's the biggest, right? Um, and so in the same way, um, instructional design, sometimes the rules just go out of the window in some scenarios, whether it's because a particular client culture doesn't support it, uh, whether it's a particular nuance around what they're trying to build. Uh, and I find I'm better able to navigate that and I'm okay with that ambiguity and ambivalence around it. 
Yeah. And I think that relates to like, women are always like, why, why? And then it's like, sometimes <laughs> for men, it, it just is right. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and therefore it like, this is the way we did it. So this just is yeah. Yeah. versus those types of things. Yeah. So no, I think that I, I, I think we've, I, I mean, we could keep on going, but <laughs> I know that we want to let people get back to their lives. And, uh, <laughs> if you have any questions, I know that you can connect with me and Nandita on LinkedIn and we're, we're willing to chit chat. Yeah. And, uh, I know that Tabitha has some lovely portfolio out there and I've seen a bit of it and I definitely think you should share that widely. I think there's some phenomenal stuff you're doing. Uh, unfortunately, since I work for corporations, I can't usually share my work. So, <laughs> you know, but uh, it's 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 nice. And um, for those of you who are considering instructional design, um, all I can say and uh, Tabatha jump in with your opinion on this is uh, it can be a immensely rewarding career, especially if you are able to contribute in that meaningful fashion. Um, you know, one of my prized values is, is really uh, helping and making the world a little bit better and uh, improving design uh, and making a good design available <laughs> uh, makes the world a little bit better at at it at the time, right? So I for those totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So all right. Well, Nandita, I'm gonna check out. It was good to uh, chat with you today, and I hope we'll, we'll have to connect again just for yes. fun. Yes. Yes. Not just for fun, but also because I think you have a really cool surname, and I want that. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for for taking the time out to chat with me man i really appreciate it i agree thanks <laughs> have a good day bye-bye i was recently on an instructional design podcast and said that i felt a bit of a fraud because i didn't think of myself as an instructional designer listening to nandita and tabitha i realized that it's such a broad sector we could probably do this episode five times over and come up with five different interpretations of it a massive thank you to Nandita and Tabitha for such a wonderful episode and for keeping me so busy during the recording. There are dozens of links in this episode and all of the details are in the show notes. If you want to get in touch, please email, use the contact form or tweet. All of the connections are in the show notes and on our website, womentalkingaboutlearning.com. As always, thank you for listening and we'll see you again soon.